Welcome to Saltier Politics. This is a big week. I'm going to let Julie take it from here. She just has a big announcement. You all might have seen it on Twitter, in the news, but Julie, you take it away. Um, Well, as I said last week, that we're going to have a big announcement this week. The big announcement is that Gretchen Carlson, um, who you might remember as the host of Fox and Friends, um, formerly Fox and Friends, the host of The Real Story, I think you worked on her show, didn't you, Emily? Yes, 2 p.m. But most importantly, as the woman who really launched the Me Too movement, because she was the first before Harvey Weinstein, before anybody else, to really um, take on predatory behavior with a very prominent man um, and win in a way that really showed women that if they stand up for what's right, they can actually accomplish their goals. And so she and I launched um, an organization called Lift Our Voices, which everybody should sign up for. Um, It's called uh, go to www.liftourvoices.com and sign up. If you have a couple of bucks you want to donate, it's a nonprofit. Um, Please donate for a very very worthwhile cause. Um, We are building an army to take on mandatory non-disclosure agreements and other confidentiality provisions that prevent women from, and others, not just women, I'm sorry, women and men, from speaking out about their work experiences, as specifically as it relates to toxic work environment. Emily, you know that um, there's two types of confidentiality agreements out there. One, um, obviously, if you work for Coca-Cola and you have the formula to Coke, you obviously shouldn't be able to walk into Pepsi Co. headquarters and, and give Pepsi the secret formula to Coke. On the other hand, a third of American workers right now are bound by non-disclosure agreements or confidentiality provisions, and those are mainly used to enforce toxic work environment and bad behavior. And that's not right. I mean, in fact, that's really wrong. And uh, for all the people out there that think, well, you know, Julie, you signed a non-disclosure agreement with Fox News when you settled, two things. One is I'm actually bound by two non-disclosure agreements. Um, One was with Fox. The other is uh, with an entity that made me sign it upon employment. And I assumed when I signed it upon employment upon signing the consulting contract with that entity, that it was going to be uh, around proprietary information um, that was sort of trade secret information. And it, and it wasn't. It was, uh, it's being enforced against a whole host of women right now, um, specifically about toxic work environment. So it, it happens when you come and it happens when you go. Uh, it happens when you sign up to work for somebody and it happens when you leave. And for all the people out there that say, well, you didn't have to settle or you didn't have to work for this entity, um, if they made you sign an NDA, understand that these issues are so prevalent right now, these contracts are so prevalent that you almost have no choice but to sign them. That's that's a big issue because I'm like so excited for you and Gretchen, I've been telling everybody about uh, once you guys made the announcement. And, and I was out to dinner with friends and they were like, well, they decided to sign the NDA. Well, let me tell you something about... Uh, and so please clear this let up. Me, let me clear this up because it's so annoying to me. People keep saying this all the time. So first and foremost, when you are litigating, um, it is probably at least three years before you see the inside of a courtroom if you go to trial. And in those three years, you are effectively um, prevented from moving on with your life you are effectively prevented from finding new employment because people don't necessarily want to hire you in the TV business if you're litigating with a a company and you have that hanging over you. And most importantly, you are settling a case that doesn't have much to do with the NDA. So for example, um, 
when I got my settlement from Fox, I didn't consider that hush money. I didn't consider that as a settlement as part of, um, well, here's some money, now keep your mouth shut. That to me was compensation for loss of income, um, for loss of opportunity to continue working at that company. And what is interesting to me is how people say, well, you shouldn't have signed it. Well, okay, I could have, I could have not signed it. I could have continued to fight the good fight. I could have put myself through two to three more years of stress and motions and legal fees and lawyers and uh, living in limbo. And sure, I, I could have done that and I could have struck a blow for all the women out there and I could have gotten up on the stand and I could have told the truth, assuming that, some of this stuff would have been admissible in court. As you know, uh, legal motions, not everything is admissible because not everything is considered, um, not everything is considered relevant to the case. And I could have won, um, but it would have taken basically a, a huge chunk of my life. For the year that I was actually in litigation with Fox, it was an all-consuming thing. Um, it was very hard to move on. It was very hard to focus on raising my kid. It was very hard to focus on my business. It was very hard to try to find another job in television. I mean, all of that is impossible to do when you're in litigation. So people have to understand that, yeah, you don't have a choice. But think about this. Think about the women that I've heard from since really Gretchen and I launched this thing. I heard from a woman who was uh, making $35,000 a year. And she was employed by a company uh, where she got pregnant and the company said to her, okay, well, we'll see you later. We don't want somebody who's pregnant working here. I don't know the reason why. Um, it's obviously not legal, but I don't know the reason why. And, and, and it could be that they didn't want somebody who was pregnant. They didn't want to pay for healthcare costs for her and um, her baby. Uh, who knows? Who knows why they didn't want a pregnant woman there? But the point is they didn't. And they basically let her go. And they, when they let her go, this woman, as I said, was making $35,000 a year, which is not a lot of money to live on, especially if you have a baby on the way. And they said to her, uh, here is a severance package. And if you want to sign it, you can go ahead and, um, sign this NDA. And that's the only way that you're getting your severance package is if you go and sign this NDA. So this woman is making $35,000 a year and she has one of two choices. She could either in the moment when she's panicked, she's just lost her job. She's having a baby, which is not an expensive endeavor. She probably lost her health care along with this job uh, where she'd have to pay COBRA, which is a really expensive endeavor. She had one of two choices. She could either agree to sign the NDA and get whatever money they were giving her, or she could say, nope, screw it. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to sue. And then she'd have to hire a lawyer. And who knows if a lawyer would even take her case on a contingency. So she'd probably have to put some money down for even a consultation. And on $35,000 a year, that is not a huge amount of money to hire a lawyer. So do you blame this woman for signing this NDA and, and taking whatever money she could in, um, in order to support herself and, and her baby? Uh, I don't. I don't blame her at all. And, and you hear stories like this all the time. Do you blame the 22 or 23 year old that is made to sign an NDA or a confidentiality agreement when it's placed before her in order for her to get her dream job? And, and they say, just sign this NDA and you can have your dream job. Does she have many options to say, I'm not going to sign it. I'm going to get another job somewhere. It's not how real life works. And for anybody who thinks that it does, they're being very naive about it. Uh, from my perspective and Gretchen's, I don't want to speak for Gretchen, but from my perspective, there is a movie being made about us um, 
that is coming out today in Los Angeles and New York. And I've seen that movie. Uh, it's called Bombshell. And my part, on it, part in it is very small. Gretchen's part in it is quite big. I can't tell you, um, Emily, whether that movie portrays what happened to me accurately or not because I'm bound by an NDA. Now, when I signed my NDA, did I think that they would be making movies about me, that somebody would be purporting to tell my story and I can't tell my own story? No. Um, I certainly didn't think I would give up lifetime rights to watch other people tell my story the way they believe it happened, but they don't really know how it happened because I can't tell them how it happened. So um, I can't speak. There is literally a, a woman playing me in a movie and I cannot tell you whether what the way she's portraying my story is accurate, whether the words coming out of her mouth were words that were actually spoken by me. Um, I can't do that. And think about that. I mean, think about the fact that other people are able to tell my story, but Am I can't. I allowed to say none of the stuff she says is stuff you would ever say? Well, I don't know. Cause have you seen right. the movie? I mean, I, I right. mean, the point is like, I can't, I, I can't comment. Right. Um, and it takes your, it's another form of taking the power away from you. Well, it, it, what it, it does is, it, it, you know, I, I don't have agency over my own story, right? Somebody, right. by the way, God bless Hollywood. I will say this. I'm very happy this kind of movie is being made. I'm very happy this movie got made. I'm very happy the loudest voice in, in the room, um, the loudest voice was made at Showtime. It, I cannot believe, I would not have been able to believe three years ago or two years ago that uh, Hollywood would be focused on movies that tell the stories of women standing up to toxic workplace behavior. I think that is a humongous step in the right direction. And so I really commend Lionsgate that's making this movie, um, Showtime, which made The Loudest Voice, really commend them for making movies, major movies and, and, and major TV shows about this issue. I think that's really showing how far we've come. But... I couldn't cooperate with this movie and I couldn't talk about my own experiences that might have informed this movie or not informed this movie. Um, the point is I, I, I don't have agency over my own story. Other people can say it. So for all, let, let's say that woman um, who got fired or let go because she was pregnant, she can't say a word about why she was let go. The company that let her go was able to say all sorts of things. They can say they let her go because her work performance stunk, or they can say they let her go because she stole money. I mean, whatever the reason they, they, they can claim, I'm not saying they did, but they can claim. Or she's difficult to work with. Or she's difficult with, to work. Oh thing. yeah. My like, favorite, right. <laughs> my, my favorite. She's difficult to work with. That's actually my favorite one. Um, yeah. That she's difficult to work with or that she, I mean, who knows? And the point is that she can't respond. So the difficult to work with thing is actually a great way to say it. Oh, you know, what do you think about Emily? Why isn't she working at your company anymore? Oh, wow. You know, Emily's just, well, you know, I don't want to say this, but Emily's really difficult to work with. How about the fact that maybe Emily went to HR and said, hey, my boss is harassing me. And HR said, hey, Emily, we'll see you later. We don't really want you working here. Here's a settlement for a couple of, you know, thousand bucks or whatever the money is. Sign this NDA and you're, you know, you're pregnant. And this is not you, Emily, but some imaginary Emily is pregnant and desperate and she takes the money and she signs an NDA and then she gets to have a company go around saying that she's difficult to work with and so other companies shouldn't hire her. I mean, that's quite a thing that you're giving away. 
And so that is a very long answer to the question for your friends of, oh, they shouldn't have signed the NDAs. NDAs shouldn't exist. You know, there's a different way to look at this. And I think this is so toxic that this is the paradigm people are looking at this. Rather than saying women shouldn't have signed the NDAs, why don't you say that maybe the people that engaged in toxic workplace behavior shouldn't be engaged in toxic workplace behavior? And if we didn't have NDAs and if we were all able to speak freely to each other, maybe, just maybe, the men, and not just men, because there are women too, but the, the people who are perpetuating this toxic workplace behavior would think twice about perpetuating it. But when you're paying off people to stay quiet and they take the money out of desperation or exhaustion or a myriad, you know, the myriad reasons as to why they would take uh, a settlement, guess what happens? The people who are engaging in toxic behavior get to do it because they get away with it and nobody ever talks about it. So a different way of looking at it rather than maybe you shouldn't sign it is maybe we shouldn't have them so that maybe people would actually be held accountable for their behavior as opposed to having it swept under the rug. So Agreed. Thank you. So what is the, I'm going to put the website in the description of the podcast of this episode, but also just what is it one more time? So if people so wanna- it's www.liftourvoices.com. Um, I have to say the Hollywood Reporter was incredibly generous to us. They wrote a wonderful write-up of our story, uh, of our, you know, not our story, but 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 our movement. They uh, invited us to speak uh, or to participate in their Power 100 Women Entertainment Breakfast. They uh, allowed, not allowed, but they invited Gretchen to introduce Ronan Farrow and in the process to really talk about our movement and ask people to join our cause. Other, the one other thing I want to add is uh, anybody who wants to join can either go to the website or they can text LIFT, L-I-F-T, to 797979, um, and that way they will be signed up, LIFT, L-I-F-T, to 797979. But it was very surreal, i got to tell you, walking a red carpet in Hollywood. Like, talk about things that you never thought you'd be doing. I watched uh, when you tweeted out the link to, to seeing you guys there. Well, what you couldn't see in that link is it's just incredible. We were standing, you know, two feet away from Reese Witherspoon and Olivia Wilde and Charlize Theron, all these people who are just stunning in real life. Were you starstruck? Um, I don't... You You don't get starstruck. I don't get starstruck. (laughs) I don't get starstruck. But it wasn't so much a feeling of being starstruck. It was a feeling of, okay, well, this is an interesting experience in my life kind of when I'll be 90 years old, if I'm still alive, I'll look back on that and say, well, that happened. Uh, we got to sit at the same table with a bunch of really interesting people. Um, Brian Lord, who's the, the head of Creative Artists of America, CAA, who was wonderful. Chuck Lorre, who, as you know, um, produced Two and a Half Men, uh, The Big Bang Theory, and... Sophia Bush, who uh, is oh my a, gosh, One Tree Hill, she's an activist. She's amazing. So she's <laughs> oh my god. So in real life, Emily, I got to tell you, she's even more amazing. She's great. Oh, she is. She's an activist. I follow her. Instagram. She is an activist. She in real life is just so passionate about these issues. She's great. Like you know, people that you meet and you kind of know about their activism, and then you meet them in real life, and you realize they're even more awesome if that's possible in real life than they are uh, in their public persona. And that is her. She is just great on every level, smart, passionate about what she's doing, stunning, uh, which has nothing to do with anything other than she's really just a pretty pretty person. On the inside and out. And out, right. Um, 
and just just fantastic in every way. She did a she did a podcast with Gretchen that that um, Gretchen did before I got out to LA that that I think she's going to post, which I'll tweet out uh, and promote when she does. And so should this uh, so should this podcast. But she's just great on every level. I cannot see enough good stuff about her as a point of personal privilege. Do you watch The Crown? Yes. Okay. So. I love The Crown, and every time I watch The Crown, when you do when they first do the the intro scene of The Crown, a name pops up, a, a woman named Nina Wolarski, who's the ex- executive producer of The Crown. Nina Wolarski and I went to high school together, and we were really close friends. And every time I see her name pop up, I, I'm just she also is the executive producer of Orange Is the New Black. And Nina Wolarski and I were super tight in high school. She was a year younger than I was. She was like a little sister to me. And sadly, as you do when you go off to college and somebody's remaining in high school, you kind of fall out of touch. Anyway, of course, I remember Nina Wolarski so well because she produces these incredible shows um, and sort of oversees them and is just this powerhouse. And every time I see her, the, the, the credits come up with her name, I just get more and more proud. The point is... I'm at this breakfast. I look over who's tapping me on the shoulder, but Nina Wolarski. And I am so, like the highlight of my life was seeing her and who she's become. And she was another person who was just brilliant and sweet and pretty on the inside and out as a child and as a teenager. And to see what happens to people like that is just so satisfying that she has become this incredible powerful woman in Hollywood in an industry that obviously is not so kind to women and and she's literally like running drama at Netflix no but it really says something because Orange is the New Black when that came out on Netflix that was completely groundbreaking and the fact that it had mostly minority women and dealt with a lot of issues that really are taboo and were not dealt with on TV and the fact that she pushed that through she pushed it through she created I mean oh my god and let me tell you something about her (laughs) she is um uh you know, a, a, a nice Jewish girl from Pennington, New Jersey. I mean, we went to school together and she's doing all this groundbreaking stuff. And we had this great conversation about the crown. Um, and I can't tell you enough good stuff about her and, and just how incredible she is and, and all the incredible work that she's doing. And so for me personally, the highlight of all of this, in addition to launching Lift Our Voices, www.liftourvoices.com, uh, was seeing her and just how amazing she's she is and and I always knew she would be and I always knew that whatever she channeled her energy into would be incredible but who could have imagined that Netflix would even exist uh 30 years ago which is probably the last time she really hung out um so and also Sophia Bush I mean Sophia Bush is such a passionate incredible advocate just really great um again Brian Lord um who runs CAA, who was married to Carrie Fisher um, and is the father of Billy Lord, uh, was just really passionate and wonderful and, and, and just a- about supporting women. This was actually, this, this breakfast was a scholarship event for women, um, young girls, actually, I shouldn't say women, high school girls, uh, a mentoring program where they pair them up with these really powerful um, executives. And... Nina actually Wolarski had done it last year. Um, I was a mentor to one of these girls. But I mean, when I say like Sherry Lansing, I mean, people like that who ran, you know, was just the first really high profile female um, executive in Hollywood. And it's a great worthwhile program. So hats off to the Hollywood Reporter for doing this and hats off to, to all these great uh, 
female executives for, for empowering these women and, and also to people like Chuck Lorre and Brian Lord, who men who fund these programs. I mean, you know, you don't have to do that if you're a guy, but they do and they're great. So all in all, it was an incredible experience and it was an incredible way to launch this movement, which I really urge everybody to sign up for and to support. And if you have a couple of bucks to donate, we would appreciate that as well, because right now Gretchen and I um, are funding it primarily ourselves, but we obviously, this is a 501c3, so we want to raise money and, and help the cause. And hopefully together we can open up a new phase in the Me Too movement. So that was my week, which is a crazy week. Well, let's, well, this goes right into our next thing of why what you guys are doing is so important and why visibility is so important in the event that you went to, the Harvey Weinstein, the tentative $25 million deal um, with the 30 women who have accused him of sexual misconduct. The settlement apparently won't require the Hollywood producer to admit wrongdoing or pay anything to the alleged victims himself. It would be paid by the insurance companies representing the Weinstein Company. Um, the deal would bring an end to all civil suits against him and the Weinstein Company, but he still faces a criminal trial. Well, this is a great example of what we just talked about. Yeah. So you have these women whose careers were effectively derailed by Harvey Weinstein, and, and you saw what he said about people like Mia Sorvino, Oscar winner, um, which is that, oh, you know, when she rejected him, Mia Sorvino, Oscar winner, Hollywood royalty in the sense that her father, Paul Sorvino, was, was a huge actor, um, a Harvard graduate. I mean, this is no little shrinking violet. And he basically derailed her career by telling people that she was difficult to work with. She wasn't difficult to work with. She just didn't want to put out. Right. And so, uh, look, Ashley Judd is one of the people who he did this to, who said that she's continuing with her civil suit that she's not part of the settlement but for the actresses and others who are taking the settlement i get it right i get it i mean a lot of them are not big names a lot of them are not people that we've previously heard of a lot of them had their careers derailed and their income derailed and they probably need the money i don't blame them for settling um but here's another thing that really illum you illuminated for me when you're talking about ndas and settlements and stuff like that okay so 25 million for over 30 women they're not getting a million. And then how much of that goes to lawyer fees? How much of that goes and to, to taxes? His, and to his legal fees. Right. Don't so, forget, this is the insurance company. Let me tell you something. This is what people don't it's get. It's like they're going to not get very much. Let me tell you what... So, right. So, 30 women? Yeah, 20? over 30, yeah. Okay. So, it's 25 million. 25 million. So, let's say it's 30 women, 25 million, right? So, each of these women is getting less than a million dollars. 50% of that goes straight to taxes. Goodbye. I'm sorry, before we even get to that, a third of that probably goes to legal fees, if not more. And then the remainder of that, 50% of it goes to taxes. By the time it's all said and done, they will be lucky if they walk out of there with a couple of hundred thousand dollars right. for a destroyed and derailed career with potential earnings in the tens of millions had they put out and Harvey Weinstein made them a star. Right. Um, or even had they not put out and Harvey Weinstein hadn't blackballed them. Um, that's nothing. I mean, that's, uh, I'm not suggesting that a couple hundred thousand dollars is nothing, but think about that for your entire career, for your entire your family, career, everything, the, the lost, pro the prospect of lost income that you right. would have, you know, um, that's it for the rest. I'm mean, not the rest of your life, but I don't know, you know, a lot of these women who were really on the cusp of massive stardom after he, derailed them and, and basically ran them out of the business and he had the power to do that. 
I don't know what they're doing, but I'm not, I don't think they're making bank. Right. So uh, what I find fascinating about this is all the people who are saying, well, Harvey Weinstein's not being held accountable. No. And you know what? Neither are, well, look at Bill O'Reilly. Great example, right? Bill O'Reilly got a massive chunk of change on his way out the door of Fox News, as did Roger Ailes. And I don't know uh, whether uh, who insur- whether insurance covered their costs, whether Fox News covered their costs, whether their legal fees were covered by outside entities. The point is, the men always seem to skate. And every time I turn on the TV, this is what I see. Sean Hannity saying to Bill O'Reilly, or turn on the radio, hey, Bill, you've got to come back to work. When are you coming back to Fox News? When are you coming back? When are you coming back? Matt Lauer, oh, Matt Lauer's been in the wilderness for three years. What's, or two years. What's Matt Lauer going to do next? Uh, nobody ever talks about what these women who did nothing more than speak up, what are they going to do next? Right. And their careers are over. By the way, what's interesting about this is, do you see any of us working in TV news? Right. I suggest like a show like Outnumber Revi- Re- Revisited with like you, Diana, Gretchen, all, Juliet, like all just the new hosts. And well, I think that would really be fantastic. But I mean, <laughs> that would be. I, 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 I came I, up I, with it right here, uh, folks. So great, great idea. You Revisited. Should, you should. <laughs> oh God. I think, I, think, I think that name might be trademarked to the Fox News channel. But, um, I, you know, and I said this publicly before, we didn't lose our talent. No, we didn't lose our talent. It's that we just spoke up and I find it galling that the most prominent guy on air at Fox News, who, you know, there's no question Sean Hannity basically runs Fox News these days, um, is is inviting Bill O'Reilly back on. I mean, really? Why don't you invite back Julia Huddy, Rebecca Diamond, uh, Andrew Macris, I can go on and on with the, you know, the names Lise Wheel. I mean, all of these women did nothing more than speak up about his behavior, and nobody's inviting them back on. And so I just, to me, it's just galling, and it just shows how much further we have to go. And I will say this, Gretchen Carlson is doing incredibly important work, and Gretchen Carlson is doing incredibly uh, visible work in the sense that she um, has a whole wonderful stuff that she's doing at Lifetime and, and other places. But um, there are other women whose uh, stories were not as widely told who just effectively are, are really not working in the business anymore. For what? For, for just having the temerity to talk about it. Right. And, you know, for all, let me just also say this, because I keep seeing on Twitter people responding to Gretchen. She, I don't know if she can say this, but I can say this, I guess, because it's not, it's not my NDA. Um, all the women out, all the people out there who are like, well, Gretchen, you know, you, you, you only filed suit after you got let go, you know, your contract ex- expired because they wouldn't renew it because your ratings were so bad. So I don't think people get this. Gretchen's ratings were not bad when she was in Fox and Friends. In fact, Fox and Friends ratings were through the roof. Right. And then Gretchen got moved to the two o'clock hour, which people perceived to be a promotion. But if you understood how things work there, it was actually a massive demotion. And then I don't think that show, having been on that show, 
was given the resources that it needed and basically it was starved. And so when shows get starved of, of, of guests or resources or promotion, shows don't do so well, right? They just right. don't do so well. And so it's very easy to say, well, the ratings were weak. Uh, you know, people can make ratings weak and strong depending on how they want to treat those ratings. Yeah, find a 2 p.m. show with really good ratings. Yeah, like, I mean, well, they can say, look, you know, when Megan had that slot or whoever had that slot, it was a higher, more uh, higher-rated show. It, it really depends on the resources that, 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 that people put behind that show. Right. And would she have ever been taken off Fox and Friends if she hadn't complained internally? I mean, no, she wouldn't have been. I don't believe she would have been. I wasn't there, but I, I, she would not have been. And everybody seemed, you know, the very same people who criticize her now all seem to love her when she was on Fox and Friends. Um, and even when she was on The Real Story, and now suddenly, you know, she, she speaks up. And she does what she does. I, I will say this about her, and I will say this about the movies that have been made about her. And I think, I don't know, did you watch The Loudest Voice, the Showtime yeah. movie? Okay. So I watched The Loudest Voice, and then I watched um, Bombshell. And again, I'm very grateful that Hollywood is making movies that are focused on this issue. But I also was in the building the day that uh, Gretchen filed her lawsuit. And if you recall, um, and the loudest, and, and Bombshell does a good, uh, Bombshell talks about this um, effectively, I think, where everybody kind of took out their phone and started messaging each other and whispering to each other and everybody was like oh my god oh my god look what happened look what happened and that's exactly true that's exactly what happened it was it was oh. literally a bombshell that got dropped um in the building and not just in the building but in the industry as you remember right no i remember what was really interesting was because i was writing on those um shows at that time and the intro to the show it's uh the real story with gretchen carlson how long that was up and then the day they're like now it's just the 2 p.m show or, and it was just interesting because we as writers were told nothing and they're just like, okay, this is this is what's happening. Maintain that in the title. And we all kind of knew what was happening, but it's just weird. There's yeah. just whole like air. Right. And what's so <laughs> weird, right. And what's so weird about the whole situation, I know, right? And what's so weird it's about- like, So do we keep her name in the thing or do we take it yeah. out? Like, what? That's right, because you were right. And so what's so weird about the whole thing is when you're in it and you're like, wow, that happened. And then, you know- a few of us who had experienced something similar were like, hmm, okay. Um, but what is interesting about it is it's really not until you watch The Lattice Voice or you watch Bombshell that you realize the enormity of what she did. The odds of survival were probably... 0.0001% insofar as she basically jumped out of a, hel- a helicopter without a parachute. And what are the odds that you think you would actually take on somebody so powerful, take on an organization that is so powerful and not just survive, but thrive and not just survive and thrive, but basically begin a movement of women coming forward and saying, Hey, there is a possibility that we could take on really powerful men. And so what I think is interesting about all of this and all of this media attention is that I don't think enough attention is being paid to how absolutely courageous that was. I mean, really, really brave. And I, I'm not her PR person. I'm not here to, to, to plug her um, in, this, in this way other than just to say 
you really, the enormity of that, I think, is, is kind of lost on people until they really sit back and think about it and think about what they did. I can tell you I wouldn't have had the courage to come forward if she hadn't. I mean, but just as like having to go to work every day and then having the looks and then just also like, are people thinking about me? Or are they even hearing me? What I, I just can't imagine the the psychological weight of that. It's, uh, you know, I, as you know, right. I, I had to do that for a little while. It's, it's hard. It's hard because... And the thing is, like, you I guys are such smart women with so much to say and, like, to do. And the fact that something so awful happened and then that has to be, like, what, what comes first when you guys walk into a room is just, like, very... Well, that's... And so what's interesting about that is you raise an interesting point, which I don't think I've talked about before. But when this first happened to me and I first came forward, I don't think I realized the enormity of the media attention that it was going to get. And I, I think I've talked about this before, maybe not, but I remember I filed and then I had to go to work to back to Fox, you know, the next day. And at some point that week, I'm walking out of Fox and I'm walking basically back to, um, back to my office outside of Fox. And suddenly I hear Julie, 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 and I turn around and it's a, it's a TV crew and they're, they're running after me and they're shoving a camera in my face. And it was kind of like a very paparazzi moment. And they're like, how does it feel to be back at Fox? How does it feel to be back on air? How does that? And I said, just happy to be back to work. No, no. What do you think about Bill O'Reilly? Which I really had nothing to do with at all. Um, it just so happened that when I filed my lawsuit, the New York Times dropped its story on O'Reilly, which I had no idea they were, they were going to drop. Uh, but it looked like it was coordinated. It certainly was not. Uh, but, but people, just this camera crew, I think they were from NBC, if I'm not mistaken, how does it feel? What do you feel? And I, I, they just kept following me and I kept saying, I, I, I don't, can't talk to you. I don't want to talk to you guys. No. How does it feel? How does it feel? You know, I couldn't take my son to preschool for about a week because I was worried about him being caught on camera. And as you know, I'm very protective of, of putting his face um, on, on camera, um, on social media or anywhere else because I, it's, you know, I want to protect his privacy. So the psychological toll of that, the enormous realization that you could cure cancer and the first thing that will ever be in your, the, the first thing that's ever going to be in your obituary is, you know, Julia comma, who, you know, sued Roger Ailes, comma. And of all the things that I'd done in my career professionally, and I had done a lot um, up to that point, that's going to be the takeaway. And you don't think about that, or maybe at least I was kind of naive and didn't think about that. The career repercussions, I just thought, okay, I'll do this, and then I'll move on to, you know, my the rest of my career. And so uh, it took me a very long time. And after that happened, um, I didn't really want to have anything to do with anything. Uh, I, I went back to my consulting business, which I'd never given up, and conti- which continued to thrive. And it was a great uh, thing to do. And uh, I'm perfectly happy raising my son, perfectly happy living my life, perfectly happy sort of staying below the radar. And I did that for, for about two years. And then what I think, and you know that Emily, I mean, you know, you see me these days, I don't ever have the Fox dresses on. <laughs> I don't really wear makeup. Um, you know, I went, kind of went back to being just, you know, the, the, the person who I was before Fox, but what I don't fit into my Fox dresses anymore, which is nice. Um, I guess. Uh, but what I find so interesting is that 
this moment kind of didn't, I wasn't looking for it, but it kind of came for me. Then suddenly somebody's making a movie about you. And, and my role in Bombshell is super small. I think if there's the actress who's playing me is on screen for, for more than a minute, I would be shocked. But it's, uh, pivotal is not the right word, but it's, but it's I guess, um, she, the Julie character, is, is portrayed as one of the women who, who files a lawsuit against Roger Ailes, which is, which is true. Um, I did. So I kind of realized, wait a second, I kind of have to speak up because I have a megaphone and others don't. And I, um, and that's important because other people don't have the ability to speak up the way that I do. That woman who I talked about, the $35,000 a year woman, she doesn't have a megaphone. Nobody's going to be inviting her to some red carpet to talk about these issues. Uh, she doesn't have a podcast to talk about it the way you and I do. She doesn't have access to reporters that she can talk about these issues to. And so I think I, I kind of decided to, to put aside my uh, convent life, not my real convent life, but I mean, it's my sort of hermit life and, and, and talk about it and, and embrace it. Whereas I had avoided it, I think for a couple of years, cause I just didn't want any part of it and, and really call out this culture and call out not just the TV industry, but industries all over the country that do this to women. And luckily I have the ability to do that. And, and so that's why we're doing it. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, just, I think like the first word on your obituary will be something like Lieutenant who led army of women. But I hope so. Or, or mother of the next president, because oh, your son God. is just extremely intelligent. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> over, over my, well, I shouldn't say over my dead body. He can but, do, whatever he wants to do, he can do as long as he's a Yankee fan. But um, I, I truly hope he doesn't go into it. Have, having spent the rest of my, having spent my entire professional life in politics, I truly hope <laughs> he does something else. Like I truly, instead of running for president, maybe, I don't know. This kid would just kill in a debate, though. Let's just be honest. Oh my God, this kid. Be, he, he could he could right now have a lesson in debates. Well, as you know, I, I debate for a living, um, and I have actually yet to win a debate with him. He just informed me that his bedtime is now 8.30, and I said, <laughs> when did you come to that conclusion? He's like, no, that's what it is, and that's when I'm going to sleep. And I was like, but that's just not the case. And he's like, well, you can put me to sleep whenever you want. I will not shut my eyes until 8.30. And so what do you say to that? Yeah. I can't close eyes shut. So right. that's, in fact, what he's been doing. He's been literally... <laughs> keeping his eyes open until 8.30, which is when he's decided unilaterally that this is when he's going to bed. In reality, his bedtime is 7.45 because I, I can't go past 8 p.m. without some, you know, alone, grown-up time. But anyway, um, so that's, that's, uh, that's my story. Um, so the next, the next thing is um, a new, the new Clint Eastwood movie, Richard Jewell. Oh, so Olivia Wilde plays a real-life reporter, the late Kathy Scruggs, um, and her... her character her portrayal in the film offers to sleep with John Hamm's character Tom Shaw an FBI agent for information about the 1996 Summer Olympic bombing in Atlanta Kevin Riley the current editor-in-chief of the Atlanta Journal Constitution criticized the film for its portrayal of Scruggs uh, stating that there was no evidence of her trading sex for information and that the suggestion was offensive and deeply troubling um okay so there's uh, a lot to unpack. A here, lot to but. unpack here. So first of all, let me just say this. Olivia Wilde was at this breakfast that I attended yesterday. She actually guest edited the Hollywood Reporter issue that um, Gretchen and I are in. And she is really impressive in real life. Um, just really, really impressive. So this is not a knock on Olivia Wilde. However, uh, I will say that if I were Kathy Scruggs' family, I would be deeply 
deeply offended. And if I were Kathy Scruggs and I were still alive, and unfortunately she's no longer with us, I would sue within an, every, with every, I mean, to say that you slept with a source as a female journalist basically implies that you couldn't get that source to cooperate with you because of your tenacity or your brain or your professional acumen. It was because you put out. And it's part of the overall issue, though, I feel like because I mean, a woman's not a produce, an executive producer unless she slept with somebody. She's not the top actress in the play unless she slept with somebody. It's just always. I mean, if I had a dollar uh, for every, so believe it or not, I know this is hard to believe that women uh, can accomplish something on their own. I uh, have never uh, used my feminine wiles to uh, advance my political career or my career in politics. Um, or in PR, or on TV. And to, but if I had a dollar for every time somebody implied that I had, I'd be a really rich woman. Because when I was a young staffer coming up, I was 23 or 24. Oh, clearly, well, I mean, the reason she's working for, for, for that congressman is clear. I mean, she must, be, she must be hooking up with him, or she's working for that politician because she must be hooking up with him. Like, it was... Almost, this is in the mid '90s. This was almost accepted, almost because right, people couldn't accept that you got there by your own and, intelligence. And, and you know and what's you know what's drive. sad, and I and I talk about this. I've never talked about it publicly like this, but I I talk about it in, internally in my business all the time. I started out in politics in 1996 with I don't know how many women. Pretty much half the people that I worked with were women, and then slowly but surely they moved on to other stuff and they kept moving on and kept moving on. And at least of my world in politics, now in my world, um, in my level, I'm one of the very few women who has remained. And there's a reason for that. They don't want to put up with that nonsense. They don't want to put up with people constantly questioning how they got to where they got. They don't want to put up with these slings and arrows consistently. I happen to have an incredibly thick skin. There's really nothing anybody can say to offend me. Trust me, everybody on Twitter has tried. I was a Democrat on Fox News for years and years. I have heard it all. There's no way, just literally, there's nothing anybody can say to offend me. But that's not the case for most people. And I think that, of course, and this is the same thing here. I mean, look at the women who are breaking really important news. Who's, who's probably the most prominent female, pol- uh, female journalist working today? Maggie Haberman at the New York Times. Um, a tenacious, I know Maggie, she's fantastic, a tenacious, um, just pitbull, incredible journalist who, who works her sources professionally, and, and, and I keep using the word tenaciously, but she really does, some of the, you know, keep going. I mean, some of the women who are, the two women who broke the Harvey Weinstein story um, in the New York, at the New York Times, I guess, you know, people like Sungmin Kim at the Washington Post, um, another good friend. These are women who are just doing incredible journalism. And for anybody to imply that, oh, well, I mean, of course. And then you have Jesse Waters, on Fox News the other day, talking on the five, talking about how, oh, there's plenty of, you know, female journalists, you know, of course, you know, when people, journalists sleep with, with their sources, he brings up one real life example, and he's like, of course, let me give you some examples. Thank you for smoking. Fictional movie, 
Fletch, which I think Chevy Chase was the guy who actually slept with somebody, fictional movie. Um, this movie about Richard Jewell, no evidence that this ever happened. So why is it only the women? Right. Why is it only the women? Why are, uh, of course a woman can't get to where she got on her own. Of course she has to sleep with somebody. I mean, could you just imagine being a woman where all you want to do is, like, this is literally all I've ever wanted to do in life. Ready? This is all I wanted to do, whether I was on TV or in my um, uh, political world. All I want to do is show up to work, do my job as well as I can, and do it again the next day. I am not interested, and no woman I know is interested in doing anything more than that. But the nonsense that women have to put up with, the comments that women have to put up with. Um, Olivia Wilde, ironically enough, made a really good point in her speech um, the other day, and I'm completely paraphrasing here, but she said something like, you know, look at the messages we're sending women, or or just the language that we use, um, that people use. Don't be a pussy. I hate that word, by the way. Don't be a pussy. Um, you're being, you know, uh, man up. Oh, that, that takes balls to do. I mean, things like that that are completely, she's so right. I mean, until she said it, it was just, she, she's so right. It, it's, it's language that in, inherently implies that, that to be a woman is to be weak um, and to be a guy is to be strong and powerful. And it was such a point, it was so well taken, this point. And I mean, you know this too. Look at the world that, that you operate in professionally. I mean, you are a young, um, physically attractive woman. I mean, think about the nonsense that you have to go through just based on that alone. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? Yep. I mean, how no, many... to be taken seriously. To be taken that, seriously, that right? Could... Because you walk into a room and you, are, you have been blessed with good looks, which by the way, you did nothing to earn. <laughs> oh, this is usually so... I often do interviews behind camera and ask the people. Right. And oftentimes the first thing when... Often interview men when they sit down is... Oh, this isn't going to be hard. Look at I get to look at you the whole time. Yeah. What about what I have to say? I just like, I understand they're being nice and it's, it's, but, it could be awkward, but it's like. But that's my point, right? So that's, so. Look, you've immediately put me in like a sexualized manner. Totally. Like about my looks, not about the content of the interview that has nothing to do with this. And let me tell you something. Um, I think the best looking guy on the planet is, you know, John Hamm, who I think everybody knows, I think is incredibly good looking. I can't imagine ever interviewing John Hamm and the first words that would come out of my mouth would be, oh, this isn't going to be hard because you're good to look at. How about, oh, no, John Hamm, you're an incredible actor. Right. And you did such a great job as Don Draper and Mad Men and every other role that you've had, even so incredible, and you've got such incredible range. It would never occur to me to tell him that I think he's a good looking guy, although he is. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and again, listen, <laughs> God bless, but you did not, you were born looking the way you look. It's not like you earned, I mean, granted, you run like a fiend and you're in great shape and you eat well. But I mean, my point is like, none of us earned the way we look. Right. We were born looking a particular way. And so why comment on something that is not an achievement? Right. Of ours. Right. And you never comment, men don't ever comment, nobody ever does that to men. Exactly. It would be weird if some woman was like, oh, you're a really good-looking guy. This interview's not going to be hard. It, it just it wouldn't happen. I can't think of any time it would happen, but especially you're in your 20s, and I remember being in my 20s, and just the consistent crap that I had to go through to get to the point. And um, 
luckily as you get older, kind of that starts happening to you less and less because, you know, younger women replace you. And, and for me, that's actually been kind of a relief, but it's, it's just annoying. And that's what women have to go through. And again, uh, you asked about the Richard Jewell movie. It's ironic to me that a movie that purports to be about somebody mistakenly using, mistakenly accusing somebody of a horrible crime, which is what Richard Jewell was accused of. You remember, I don't know, were you around when that bombing happened in the 90s? I was six. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> I remember it quite well. And um, it was obviously, <laughs> okay. it was obviously huge domestic, I think it might have been, you know, this is pre-Oklahoma City bombing, certainly pre-9-11. It was like a huge domestic terrorist case. And um, this poor guy, his life was destroyed because he was incorrectly identified by the media and his life was destroyed. How about the movie that purports to be about that, and that's a noble cause and I'm glad they made that movie, doing basically the same with a reporter? Right. It's like the irony is completely lost on Clint Eastwood. And no, by the way, it's not because Clint Eastwood is a Republican, Jesse Waters. That's not why I'm critical of it. I don't care if it's Clint Eastwood or if it were, you know, Joe Blow. You just don't do that to somebody, no. especially to a dead woman that can't defend herself. That's just awful. Agreed. So, Julie, um, what are you salty about this week? <laughs> so I had a pretty good week. Yeah. Um, and so I have not been too salty, but I am salty about uh, Donald, well... <laughs> Guess what? I'm salty about Donald Trump and Jared Kushner. How about Donald Trump classifying Jews as a nationality? Oh, let's... So, um, uh, as as you know, I I come from the Soviet Union. (laughs) And uh, the Soviets... So, when you were um, uh, a citizen of the Soviet Union, you had something called an internal passport because you were not allowed to externally leave the country. So, it was basically your identification papers. And uh, there was section number 5.5 on your identification papers. And so if you were were a Soviet citizen, but if you were Ukrainian, if you were living in Ukraine, your nationality was Ukrainian. And if you were living in Russia, your nationality was Russian. And if you were living in Latvia, your nationality was Latvian and so on and so forth. Um, But if you were Jewish and you were living in Russia, your nationality would not be Russian. Your nationality would be Jewish. So I was born in Moscow, um, which is in Russia, um, but my nationality would not have been Russian. It was Jewish. Um, My mother was born in Moscow, the same way that her next-door neighbor was born in Moscow. The next-door neighbor's nationality was Russian. Um, My mother's nationality was Jewish. And same thing with my father. And same thing with every Jew in the Soviet Union. So when you start identifying Jews as, and by the way, uh, spoiler alert, it did not go well for the Jews <laughs> being nope. ident- in the Soviet Union to be identified that way. Um, so the same way that uh, German Jews had to wear um, stars of David, even if they were atheist, and even if they were totally secular, it was not a religion, it was that they were considered racially Jewish, the same way we were considered racially Jewish. And... I think that is a massive, massive problem because it's just uncalled for. And, um, uh, you know, I don't, to, to, to do that is insane. And for, for, then for Derek Kushner to basically say publicly this week, um, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. You know, let me just say this as a Jew. Always right. There are very many different kinds of Jews. There are Jews who consider themselves Jewish because they are religious Jews, um, and they you know they follow 
the Jewish religion. Uh, I, I'm, I personally am I'm not religious, um, so I'm not one of them. There are Jews who consider themselves Jewish because they are Zionists, and there are Jews who consider themselves Jewish because there is a 2,000-year tradition of a diaspora um, where they have cultural identifiers that, that make them feel Jewish. And there are people who are a combination of all three, and there are probably a hundred other things in ways that, that, that Jews would self-identify themselves as Jews. It is not the same thing as being a Christian where you're a Christian if you believe that you know Jesus Christ is uh, the Son of God and, and was born of the Virgin Mary. Being Jewish has very many different things to very many different people. There are Jews out there. Um, again, I'm not one of them. But there are many Jews out there, many, who don't agree with Zionism. By the way, some of those Jews are ultra, ultra, ultra religious Jews who don't believe the state of Israel should exist until the Messiah um, comes back. And those people, you know, would would, would see Jared Kushner's synagogue attendance and, and raise them about 20 million. Right. Um, and there are Jews out there who are just opposed to the whole notion of a, of a Jewish state and think that that what is the land of Israel today should be split between, it should not be a Jewish state, but should be a state open to, to everybody, to Muslims. So it shouldn't be identified as a Jewish state any more than the United States is not um, a, a Christian state. So again, I'm not defending the views of either of those demographics. I'm just explaining to you that both those people, both those pe- groups would consider themselves to be Jews. It is not for Jared Kushner to define what other Jews are. And, and to say that that's anti-Semitic, um, anti-Semitism to me. I just think it's interesting how Jews. like Kushner can do like a black and white line, like um, good versus bad, and like Trump couldn't do that uh, with white nationalists. These people are bad. So well, we know why Trump is doing that. There's not one Jew I know out there who's falling for this bull. Right. Um, in fact, most Jews who I've spoken to, if not all Jews that I've spoken to about this, and there have been many this week, actually think this is a really alarming development for somebody to classify Jews as a nationality. What I think is relevant and important uh, is they are not doing, uh, they're doing this for the evangelical vote. This is what the evangelicals want to know. Right. Literally, this is what this is, this is, because if you're an evangelical Christian, you believe that the second coming is only going to happen, Armageddon, and all this stuff, you know, when, when, when the Jews basically go back, return to the Holy Land. So I, I got to tell you, it's so transparent and it's so offensive. This is not what Jews want. It's just not. And I don't want to speak for all Jews because I should say this is not what I, as a Jew who knows my history and, and came from the Soviet Union, want. And no more than Jared Kushner can speak for me and, and no more than he can speak for anybody else. So shame on him. Shame on Donald Trump. Let's, let's leave the Jews alone. Let's, let's, you know, you want to talk about anti-Semitism? Let's talk about the fact that people died in Jersey City, New Jersey. Oh God, yeah. Uh, this week because some anti-Semites opened fire in a kosher store. Um, that's what you should be talking about, not castigating some Jews for being 
bad Jews. Thank you, Donald Trump. I don't really need Donald Trump to be lecturing me or any other Jews on, on, on what makes a good Jew or a bad Jew. Well, anyway, awful, 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 awful. Well, um, on a lighter note of what I am salty about, or really not salty about, I don't know if you had the pleasure or displeasure of seeing the 30-second Peloton commercial. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I'm not salty about it. Okay, because like I can get why people are say saying it was sexist, but for those who haven't, um, it starts with a husband surprising his wife with the Peloton bike on Christmas morning. She goes for her first ride, admitting she's quote a little nervous but excited. And then the next scenes see the wife rushing in the door after work to get her workout in, waking up at six a.m. to do the same. And then she says, quote, "A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me." End quote. She says at the end of the ad as she and her husband sit down on the couch and watch video footage of her workouts from the past year. I like I see why people could be offended who don't like to work out, but for someone who does, I'd be like, that's an awesome gift. I I wasn't offended by this commercial at all. Well, like I see it, like, and I see maybe by the actress where she looked afraid, but I, I, I just, Oh no, no, I don't think that's what people think. But I just think that, I mean like giving a bike to your wife to be like, get in shape for me. And like, because I want to be with a fit person, that's a whole different issue. But I didn't get that from the ad. I was just like, because I would just be again, legitimately excited to get a a bike like that. Are, that you, lo- are you angling for a Peloton for, for Christmas? Is I mean, that, is that what you're, is that what you're implying here? I, that somebody I should send be, you a Peloton? <laughs> like I am, I am the one person in this who were not salty by this ad. I'm like, so, okay. When I saw that, like my visceral reaction at the end of this ad was like, I take it. <laughs> so I think what made people salty about this ad is that not that she was getting a gift from her husband to get in shape. It was that it was revealed at the end of the ad that she had been tracking her um, development on the Peloton or whatever, her progress on the Peloton for her husband. So it almost seemed like she was doing it for him and not for herself. And that's, I think, the way some people took it. But the best part about this Peloton ad is not the Peloton ad. Did you see the Ryan Reynolds liquor response oh to that? that was fantastic that was fantastic that, and when she just downed when that. she just downed the tequila because she was like <laughs> or the uh, gin yeah the gin excuse me yeah aviation gin yeah um i mean that was a perfect response yeah where she was like yeah you're the other women are like i feel like someone's in your beginnings right someone in crisis management and pr like i feel like that is like that was i don't the know the move i don't know which agency came up with that idea but what a great idea and inspirational i'm not salty about that at all i think that's amazing um, but I, I think the whole notion is that you shouldn't get in shape for some guy. You should get in shape for yourself. Right. And um, I felt like she was, she was excited. There were personal goals that she was achieving for herself, but again, but apparently I'm that, the 1%. I, <laughs> I wasn't salty by it. Yeah. You know, I <laughs> listen, it's okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't salty about it. I wasn't not salty about it. I didn't even pay attention to it until I saw the aviation gin commercial. And then I kind of went back and saw the original ad and I was like, way to go <laughs> that's fantastic really the winner Maybe, is ryan reynolds yeah ryan reynolds winner or not ryan reynolds himself although he deserves credit but the pr agency the the, the ad agency for aviation gin whoever you are i hope you get a lot more work because that was great what a great clap back what that, a subtle and that, clap back. that was so good um so julie one more time the web address for your, your um, new organization www.liftourvoices.com or text lift to seven nine seven nine seven nine and come join our movement 
guys and ladies. It is nonpartisan. It is non-gender specific. It is not industry specific. It is an issue that affects men, women, everybody on the planet. And I truly want everybody to, to join us. It is not a controversial cause. It is the right thing to do. And uh, we just, uh, we, we want to speak. We want to be a voice for the voiceless until everybody has a voice to speak up and talk about their own issues. And again, had I not gone through it myself, I would probably not have realized the enormity of it, but this is not so much about me or Gretchen Carlson. As I keep saying to everybody, we will be just fine and we are just fine. It's really about the one third of American workers who don't have a voice because of mandatory arbitration or NDAs. And, you know, if it's not you today, it could be you tomorrow. And trust me, you will want to be able to share your own story with people and be able to talk about it to your, to your friends, to, to publicly. Um, there may be somebody that you work with who you don't think should be employed and should be around other people, and you will not be able to warn those people about what's coming for them because you're bound by a mandatory muzzle order, effectively, and, and that's not right. So do it on behalf of yourselves, your wives, your daughters, your husbands, your sons, Everybody deserves to be able to tell their own story. Um, what do you have on tap this weekend? Anything good? I have a couple of uh, brunches, and I've added back into my workout some rowing. So I have some rowing classes in there. So, again, not mad about the Peloton. <laughs> You're such a... <laughs> so how about you, Julie? Any more well, soccer I will, I will not be working out this weekend. Um, what am I doing this weekend? I'm, I'm trying to remember what I'm doing this weekend. I have been traveling... I, I literally flew to Los Angeles um, on Tuesday. I feel like I don't even know what day it is. Flew to, flew to Los Angeles on Tuesday, got in sort of midday, uh, but flew. It took me like seven hours to get there. Had dinner. Started a movement. Started a movement. Got back on the plane. Do you watch Kirby Enthusiasm? Yeah. So I was sitting behind Cheryl uh, Hines who was with her husband, Robert Kennedy Jr., (laughs) on the plane. (laughs) And I had a drink because I had 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 it by that point (laughs) because I was flight delays and it was late and I was tired and I hadn't slept and yada, yada. And after drink number two, I was like, oh, my God, I really want to approach Cheryl Hines. And I never approach any celebrities. You know, I don't really get that starstruck. But just approach her and tell her how much that show means to me and how much it's meant to me. And then I thought, okay, that would be a really lame and kind of weirdo stalker thing to do. So I didn't, but anyway, that was my cool sighting. Uh, and after Charlize Theron and all those at the event, that's awesome. So anyway, I just want to be clear that that is a, uh, that was a really cool experience. What am I doing this weekend? I don't know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm definitely not introducing rowing into my workout. I'll tell you that. I don't actually have any plans, which means that uh, I it will get very busy very quickly. It will get very busy very quickly because I assume my seven-year-old has plans that I don't even know about that will require many play dates and other running around activities with him. So I'm already kind of tired thinking about that. But debate practice. Oh God. <laughs> I just, just you know, I keep saying to him isn't there just once that you just don't want to debate and you just want to say, yes, mommy. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. Like he doesn't understand that concept. Isn't there just, just when I say get dressed, isn't there just once that you can just say, 
um, okay. No. And the response was like, it's very quizzical, like, huh? Because I don't think it's, it's in his nature to just take the first offer that's given to him. It's not. Everything's in, yeah, it's not. If I'm like, hey, can you put on your socks? He'll be like, how about in 10 minutes? And I'll yeah. go, how about no. right, right? Can you say hi to Emily? Mm. Can you say hi to Emily? Yeah, in five minutes. How about right now? Okay, how about in three and a half minutes? Okay, how about in two minutes? Ah, like, uh, everything's that's, a negotiate. That's like, a little difficult. You know what? You want, you want somebody to negotiate for you? You want somebody to go in there and negotiate for you? You want to buy a car? That is the guy to take with you. He will never take the first offer. No, just the look. I'm bringing him, I'm bringing him with me. <laughs> anyway, I'm already tired talking about it, so let's stop. Okay, uh, great talking to everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.